Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are uh, in approaching the end of the the end of the Joseph novella, the end of the Joseph narrative, uh, and. We spoke last week about uh, Joseph's own identity issues, remembering and forgetting his life, his traumas. His traumas are over in terms of his circumstances going up and down, right? We talked a lot about you know him being on a high, and then he's at a low, and then he's, betra- he's in a high, then he's betrayed again. He comes out of it, he's betrayed again, right? And so circumstances have brought Joseph down three times, really, to the bottom. He's done with that. He's done with those we know, because we've read this story before, once or twice, or 17 times. We know that he's going to stay the vizier of Egypt, he's going to be fine, his life is going to end, right, just as it is now, that he's second in command to Paro. Okay, so his the vicissitudes of his situation are over. From the outside. I think what we see here in this week's Parsha is, is Yosef confronting his inner pit, the inner prison, the inner darkness. Uh, and it's only after he descends into that that he is able to truly uh, come out. We talked a little bit last week. <laughs> if you believe he comes out of it, then it's only after... I know you do. It's okay. Um <laughs> That uh, it's only after he, 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 it can't just be from the outside, right? Circumstances, his response to circumstances have been amazing. He's resilient. He's, he's amazing. But we see here, I think, him really wrestling with the darkness of what's happened to him. And not, not being thrown in prison, not those things, but the original wounding. The original wounding, which was the betrayal of his brother's of him, the stripping away of what made him unique, right? They strip him of his coat. That coat was a sign of his special relationship to Yaakov, the patriarch, and they strip it away from him. And in throwing him in the pit, in washing their hands of him, they strip Yosef of what makes him special in the world, beloved, unique, different, so I think that is what we see enacted here uh, in this scene. Often it gets talked about as he's testing his brothers. I think that is way too simple an interpretation, as usual. Um, I think it's way too simple. Is that going on? Yes. Is that the major point of the author here? I don't think so. So let's look at it. We know the story. But as always, we're going to go another layer in. 4311 is where our third year triennial reading begins. Somebody want to read? Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, do this. Take some of the choice products of the land in your baggage and carry them down as a gift for the man. Some balm and some honey, gum, uh, ladanum, pistachio nuts, and almonds. 4311. And take with you double the money carrying back with you the money that was replaced in the months of your bag, in, in the mouths of your bags. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother too, and go back at once to the man. And may El Shaddai dispose the man to, to mercy toward you, that he may release to you your old other brother, as well as Benjamin. As for me, if I am to be bereaved, oh, wait, you know I what? shall be bereaved. Thank you. Look early in 43. 4311. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Verse 9. I got it. Thank you, Nick. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's verse 9. Verse 9. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I had Rabbi, I had Rabbi Nick helping me with a citation. Right. Um, so, so the, the brothers are going back to, they've come back to Yaakov because Joseph has ordered Benjamin to be brought down to Egypt. He goes to take a hostage. Judah says, and and I'm going to talk about it later, in verse 9, so a few verses before this, Judah says, I will be surety, 
right? For him. Don't take one of my brothers. Let me, let me stand in for him. Let me take his place. The one that you're going to hold hostage. And Joseph acquiesces. Joseph is demanding that the only surviving son of Rachel be brought down to Egypt. Aviva Zorenberg says this is not just something he decides to do, right? He is inflicting, acting out, putting his family through what they did to him. The closest to him is Benjamin, right? The other, the others are half brothers. Benjamin is his only full brother, the only other son of Rachel. And so Joseph says, bring him down to Egypt. It has to happen to Benjamin too, apparently, for Joseph to work this through, right? He has to come down to Egypt. So Jacob understands that this is perilous, right? Imagine Jacob's, you know, he's lost in his mind, the one son of, of Rachel, and now the demand is let the other son go down there or the family starves. And one son's in prison. One son is being held hostage. Imagine for Jacob, the existential crisis. Do I let him go and we all, or we all starve? So they took, remember, uh, Joseph gives them food and then puts money in their sacks. The money they paid for it, he puts back in their sacks. They don't discover that until they get home, open their Hanukkah presents, and there's the cash with the present. It's like, wait a minute, like how, we, we gave that money, we, we paid, we swear, dad, we paid. It's, a, of course, a setup. So remember, what did they do to Joseph? They sold him. So again, he's got to inflict on them some anxiety and sense of disorder related to money, related to life, in this case food, in a famine, life and money. Benjamin's got to come down to Egypt and they have to suffer some serious anxiety about life and money and powerlessness. What do they do now? All right. But he's hurting Jacob much more than he's hurting the brother. So this is a question I want us to hold, right? So let's hold that hovering behind all of this. I want us to hold the question of what's up with Joseph vis-a-vis Jacob, right? That That is a shadow for me over the whole story. This Joseph-Jacob relationship or lack thereof. Carol? Is there any significance to the use of El Shaddai as opposed to any of the other names? There's always significance to everything. Um, so, you know, we, we're always looking at the author, right? We're always looking at, at who's writing the text and what their uh, names for God are. El Shaddai is a very old name. It's a very old name uh, for God. Some argue um, a a name for God associated with sustenance. Shade in Hebrew is breast. So there, there is a theory that El Shaddai is a remnant from a feminine aspect of divinity that comes out of Canaanite polytheism, you know, and shows up in, um, yeah, of course, in uh, the the religion that comes out of Canaanite polytheism, which is Yahwism. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, there's more. There's more. Obviously, so there always is. Right. Um, All right. So fifteen. Bert. So the men took that gift, and they took with them double the money as well as Benjamin. They made their way down to Egypt, where they presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, "Take the men into the house, slaughter and prepare an animal, for the men will dine with me at noon." The man did as Joseph said, and he brought the men into Joseph's house. But the men were frightened at being brought into Joseph's house. It must be, they thought, because of the money replaced in our bags the first time that we had been brought inside as a pretext to attack us and seize us as slaves with our pack animals. 
So they went up to Joseph's house, Joseph's house steward, and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. If you please, my lord, they said, we came down once before to procure food. But when we arrived at the night encampment and opened our bags, there was each one's money in the mouth of his bag, our money in full. So we have brought it back with us. And we have brought it down with, with us, uh, and we have brought down with us other money to procure food. We do not know who put the money in our bags. He replied, All is well with you. Do not be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, must have put treasure in your bags for you. I got your payment. And he brought out Simeon to them. So, so Joseph has set them up for this incredible anxiety. We just read, and then they get there, and then it's okay, right? Well, that's a long trip. How long is it? By camel, by, you know, like, riding. <laughs> yeah. 15 days? Two, three weeks. About two weeks. Each way. If you got a big caravan, it takes longer, right? Um, so, so that's a long time to be wondering what's going to happen when we get there. So they get there, and there's... Joseph, who has them brought into his house. What are they most afraid of? That they're being brought into the house to be disempowered completely and lose their freedom and become slaves. This is, again, not an accident. This is Joseph inflicting on them what's happened to him. I mean, not not nearly what's happened to him, but walking them through all of the pain, all of the circumstances that they caused him to go through first immediately, and then, right? Feels so good. Feels so good. Feels so good. (laughs) Right? Okay. So uh, I just want to keep moving because we we have other stuff to get to. So so go ahead. Then the man brought the men into Joseph's house. He gave them water to bathe their feet, and he provided feed for their asses. They laid out their gifts to await Joseph's arrival at noon, for they had heard that they were to dine. Go on. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts that they had brought with them into the house, bowing low before him to the ground. He greeted them, and he said, How is your aged father of whom you spoke? Is he still in good health? They replied, It is well with your servant, our father. He is still in good health. And they bowed and made obeisance. So this is the only time that Joseph gets confirmation that his father is still alive. Back to this question, right? Joseph could have flown first class to Canaan (laughs) to check on his father long before now. He could have, if he didn't want to face his brothers, if that was too traumatic for him, he could have sent a delegation of administrative officers, ambassadors, to Canaan, to check on his father, even without his father knowing it. Ask around and report back. Or take a letter to dad. I'm okay. I'm alive. Joseph's been right free a lot, including when he was in Potiphar's house, right? Presumably he could have sent something back to Canaan. But certainly as the second to Pharaoh, He could have made happen whatever he wanted to. He doesn't do it. I think it's because he hasn't worked through the betrayal. And when we talked about Aviva Zornberg's take, you know, the things he remembers and the things he forgets. And it says, you know, he names his son after, because I have forgotten what's been done to me. Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) Look what he's doing to his brothers. This is not a test. Later we see it, a test if you want to call it that. This is not a test. This is, this is putting them through torture, minuscule compared to what he's been through, but he needs them to suffer. So, now he finds out his father is, is in fact alive and in good health. Looking about, he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and asked, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he went on, May God be gracious to you, my boy. With that, Joseph hurried out, for he was overcome with feeling toward his brother and was on the verge of tears. He went into a room and wept there. Then he washed his face, reappeared, and now, in control of himself, gave the order, Serve the meal. They served him by himself, 
and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, for the Egyptians would not dine with the Hebrews, since that would be abhorrent to the Egyptians. As they were seated by his direction, from the oldest in the order of his seniority to the youngest in the order of his youth, the men looked at one another in astonishment. Portions were served them from his table, but Benjamin's portion was several times that of anyone else, and they drank their fill with him. All right, so... When they, when they throw him in the pit, presumably to commit murder, turns out they don't, but that's their original intent. Throw him in the pit and leave him there. Like, you, like we don't want his blood on our hands, but, but it's, you know, what is it, second degree? You know, when, when you, you just walk away, you know there's no way out. He, he's gonna die. That's the intention. Then they decide they have to, then they're having an argument about what to do with him. And they decide, while they're having this disagreement, what do they do? They eat. (laughs) Joseph's in the pit, and his brothers are sitting down to a meal. Right? So they right now are terrified. What does Joseph do? Sits them down and serves them a meal. You want to eat while somebody suffers? No problem. Eat and suffer. So... He doesn't eat with them. He's Egyptian. We talked last week about about the separation of the Egyptians from those they consider to be unclean. The Hebrews were simply one of those peoples. Um, it was not only about Hebrews, but certainly the, the Hebrews were counted among them. Uh, is there any commentary that they know who he is so at this point? What's, what, what, what's interesting is how does he seat them at the table? By age. From oldest to youngest in birth order. How would he know that? Then when they're served, Benjamin is served a double portion. So hopefully, I'm imagining he's thinking, hopefully this has increased their agitation, anxiety, like sense of dislocation, like not knowing what's going on, right? Chaos, confusion, Right with their lives hanging in the balance, right? He's making it worse. Like, is it's not here's the buffet, you know? Have at it. He serves them in. He seats them in birth order. So imagine how long that meal is for them, right? It's like forty-four. Then he instructed his house steward as follows: fill the men's bags with food as much as they can carry, and put each one's money in the mouth of his bag. Put my silver goblet in the mouth of the bag of the youngest one, together with his money for the rations. And he did as Joseph told him. With the first light of morning, the men were sent off with their pack animals. They had just left the city and had not gone far when Joseph said to his steward, Up, go after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why did you repay good with evil? It is the very one from whom my master drinks... Uh, and which he sees for divination. It was a wicked thing for you to do. He overtook them and spoke those words to them. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything of the kind. Here we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money that we found in the mouths of our bags. And then could we have stolen any silver or gold from your master's house? Whichever of of your servants is found... Whichever of your servants it is found with shall die. The rest of us, moreover, shall become slaves to my Lord. He replied, Although what you are proposing is right, only the one with whom it is found shall be my slave, but the rest of you shall go free. So each one hastened to lower his bag to the ground, and each one opened his bag. He searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the goblet turned up in Benjamin's bag. At this, they rent their clothes, each reloaded his pack animal, and they returned to the city. Okay. So, so he, he frames Benjamin with his own divination cup. There's not a lot worse you could get caught with than the vizier's divination cup. You do not want that in your sack, right? It's his Mont Blanc pen. Like, it's his most personal, cherished, not just status and office, but, but his, his, um, his religious 
relationship to the world, right? He uses this cup to, to tell the future. Now, we're, we're not told Joseph believes in divination, he, but in Egypt it would have been, right, natural and normal. So he wants the brothers, because they don't know who he is, to think that he believes in. So in Benjamin's cup is found, I mean, in Sack is found the cup. Uh, it has been decreed that whom, in who, would the brothers say, in whomever's hands you find it, let them be put to death it, as a declaration of innocence. Where did we see this before? Um, with Rachel stealing um, Levon. Rachel, his mother, stole the trophim, and Yaakov, his father, said, "Let whomever is found with your trophim be put to death." Right? She died. Later, she dies. Some people want to tie those. I don't like to go there. We had that conversation. Um, uh, yeah, later we all die. So, um, so again, right? We, the more we study, the more we hear the echoes. Of the, these are the very words of his father. He has set up his mother's son to have stolen the treasure of his personal household. She stole the treasures of the personal household of Lavan. All right. In this case, though, Benjamin's innocent. There is no theft. But the threat is still there. Was this story told? Did Rachel tell her story? If so, it sure makes it ironic what Yosef chooses to do. Yeah? And what the brothers respond. Okay. When Judah... If the family knew the story of Rachel having stolen the trafim and Jacob declaring, let anyone who's... Because he doesn't know she has them. Right? He says to Lavan, whoever you find the traf... The traf... The, um... God. No, the, 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 the trafim. The household gods. Whoever you find them with should be put to death. Because we don't have them. Rachel's sitting on them. Right? So... If that story was part of the family lore and she got away with her life just barely and Yosef frames Benjamin and the brothers answer, let whomever has the cup be put to death, right? It, it, then those stories become very interesting put next to each other. Okay. When Judah and his brothers re-entered the house of Joseph who was still there, they threw themselves on the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me practices divination? Judah replied, What can we say to my Lord? How can we plead? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered the crime of your servants. Here we are then, slaves of my Lord, the rest of us, as much as he in whose possession the goblet was found. But he replied, Far be it from me to act thus. Only he in whose possession the goblet was found shall be my slave. The rest of you go back in peace to your father. So in verse 9, Judah says, let me take Simeon's place. Take me. Simeon, who's been held hostage. He wants to take Simeon's place. And you know, if something happens and they don't bring Benjamin back, it's he who will remain in prison forever. And here, what does he do here? A very clever... Manipulation. What's he trying to do? What does he do? Take us all as your slaves, he says. Instead of? Instead of Benjamin. Instead of just Benjamin. Instead of just me. Oh, instead of killing? Yes. What What was the decision? Kill. What was put out there before? Kill whoever you find the cup with. Now the cup has been found in Benjamin's sack. And Judah very cleverly says, what's he going to say? We didn't take it? Like He, he knows. They're done. And he says, we're guilty. Take us all as your slaves. To spare Benjamin's life. To spare Benjamin's life. They're really good brothers now. To Benjamin. To Benjamin. To Benjamin, they're good brothers. And to Simeon. So this is where we're going to go. So this is where we're going. So, um, So this is what Judah says. And Joseph knows exactly what he's doing. But Joseph isn't done with them. Right? And says, forget it. Far be it from me 
to take innocent people as slaves. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm a just and compassionate ruler. Leave Benjamin here. The rest of you are free to go. And I don't think he just means free to go. I think he means leave Benjamin here and get out. Six. Oh, no. Sorry. We're at the end of the question. Yep. Yep. Uh, Eleven. Right? Mm-hmm. Where are we? We're at the end of the question. Yep. We just yep. ended. No, we didn't. Yeah. Did we? Um, okay. I think we ended. All right, so... We made it. Yeah. We actually made it. We're actually at the Haftorah. We never do this. This is a Shachianu right here. That was terrible. Um, Shachianu that we, like, read a bunch and got to the end of the chunk that we were assigned for the day. All right, so um, because it's a little bit more narrative, we can get through a little bit right, more material. But I want, I want to look at this issue of Judah. Right? So we've studied the Judah and Tamar narrative, yes? We've studied together, I'll remind us, that Judah, a few chapters before this, Judah loses two of his three sons to death. Two of his three sons die, and he withholds his third son from Tamar, his daughter-in-law, afraid he'll die too. And then Tamar seduces Judah, the whole thing, and she has a child by him. Remember that whole trial that... And she said, and he says, I'm gonna kill her because she's pregnant. Remember all this? We're back to that theme. A crime, the punishment is death, and it turns out she proves that she in fact was more righteous than Judah. And there is an experience of suffering for Judah before the story begins that changes Judah. Losing two sons. He now must understand what he did to his father differently. To have bereaved his father the way he now suffers. That he caused that. That he was part of that. Must do something. Because Judah is different. It is Judah who says in verse 9, Anochi e'ervenu miyadi tivakshenu. I am um, bound up with him, meaning his brother. Take me, right, instead. Judah understands differently now, empathizes differently now with not only Yaakov, but anybody who's going to be bereft, right? He... He can't bear the thought of his father being bereft of another son. He was afraid for his own third son. He knows when Yaakov says, okay, there's no choice. Take Benjamin with you. Judah knows what that feels like. He He didn't want to risk his third son. He knows his father's risking the only surviving son of his beloved Rachel. He knows what that does now to Yaakov. I believe, I'm sorry, this is my this is my reading through the eyes of Zornberg and Peter Pitzela and other people who who really understand that it is that that changes Judah into somebody who empathizes and acts differently as a result. He understands that we're not individuals alone. He understands that he is that we are tied up one with another. And his father's pain is his pain. His brother's pain becomes his pain. He doesn't want anything to happen to Simeon or to Benjamin. And he says, so take me. This is an incredible moment in Torah that is often, I think, overlooked. It's not that Judah's changed. The brothers are different now. And so everything's okay. And and Joseph comes out to them. We're going to see next week. We're going to talk next week about the episode where what, what happens for Joseph. Right now, I just want to stay with Judah. It's a very serious change that happens, and it's because of his own suffering and his own pain and his own identification with Jacob and his brothers. Out of that pain, understanding that we're all in this in our own ways together, he gets it, he empathizes so deeply that he takes it on, the responsibility to prevent more pain to his father. 
It's a deep existential change in Judah. We are at Hanukkah, and uh, rabbis are invited to the White House, as you know, at Hanukkah. And one of my colleagues uh, wrote movingly uh, of Rabbi David Ingber wrote movingly about being invited to the White House. And he's like thinking, what do you say to the most powerful man in the world? And reflecting on the story that's told at Hanukkah, the Joseph narrative, Rabbi Ingber says, this, this is what the brothers are sitting with. What do we say to the most powerful man in the world when we get there? And this is where he quotes Judah. What Judah says is we are we're tied up one with another. And it's a deep, deep new orient not new, a bit, but it's a new it's a different orientation for Judah than what we see uh, earlier. And Ingber points to an African word, Ubuntu. And Ubuntu means I am human because you are. I am only human through you being human. So this concept is very hard uh, for if, if you if you look at African writers, it's very hard to translate into English. Right? We, we say this a lot about Hebrew, right? When we get to Torah, it's very hard to, to translate this concept into English. I obviously don't understand it because I don't speak African. Um, but there are many discussions and permutations of Ubuntu. And why does Ingber quote this? Because what Judah does is essentially bust open a new possibility. Because this could have been the end. Joseph could have said, I'm taking Benjamin, get out. Could have ended there. But we have next week's Parsha because of Judah's speech. Because Judah does this, empathizes so deeply with Yaakov and presents it so powerfully to Yosef, the story opens up. And we will next week get what that means and what that looks like. And so what Ingber is saying and what I want to say this particular Hanukkah is that that's the connection of Hanukkah to this business. It's Ubuntu. We look around, we look at the TV, we read the news, we suffer the events of recent days in San Bernardino, down the street at Pali, which is closed. It turned out to not be a credible threat, but the, the school's on lockdown. Revere was on lockdown. My daughter talked about what how terrified they were. They're told to get under their desks. There's a possibility of an active shooter. I went to a private Jewish day school. I know what bomb threats are. I know class being interrupted so we had to go out onto the recess yard because there was a bomb threat. I never had to get under my desk because someone might come into the classroom and shoot me for no reason other than crazy kinds of hatred. And So she talked about how terrifying that was and that this is the environment they're being raised in. And then we light Hanukkah candles at night. Because what is our response to this craziness, right? There's a couple of ways to go. What was Joseph's response to his own suffering? What's Judah's response to his own suffering? If we only stay in fear and rage and revenge and it feels good to kill them or lock them up or beat them up or blow them up, that is absolutely where we want to go. That will not break the story open for the possibility of reconciliation. The only thing that will is Ubuntu. Understanding kol Yisrael, arivim, zebazeh, the same word. Every one of us is, is interwoven with the other. You pull one thread and the tapestry comes apart. I'm not suggesting we do that with the terrorist. I'm not. But I'm suggesting that Ingber brings Ubuntu to this story, to Hanukkah, to say this is the only way forward with hope, is to band together, to understand that we are 
inextricably bound through sometimes our pain and suffering and brokenness and grief and loss. And when we can lean into that and know that somebody else feels it too because they're human, it opens up all kinds of possibilities. Amy? I was just going to say that um, what's interesting is that Joseph, he hasn't seen his family for all these years, and in his mind it's concretized, it's, it's stopped at a certain point. He's created a story and myth around what happened to him. It hasn't moved forward. And so when he has this opportunity and he meets them, Judah does play this incredible role because it's not the brother he thinks he's going to meet. It's a brother who's involved. And I think when you know, you've been given injustice in your life at such a profound, when it's your family that has betrayed you, you want to, you, 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 you have, you're still in the past in a way because you're holding on to the anger. And that's why, in a way, when you've been, you can't go to forgiveness. You have to actually experience being the taskmaster and hurting others. You have to kind of see the whole picture before you come to the other side. So maybe, I'm just saying, is it that Joseph is also having to go through? We're watching him change. We're watching him be, in a way, evil. Um, Because he needs to in order to feel, hey, this isn't right. And then the person who's perpetrated the evil on him is actually the one who shows him the light. So th- this is that's Zornberg's right. reading. Yes, that he has to he has to inflict on he has to do to them on some level what they did to him. Right? They were the perpetrators. He was the victim. He has to become the perpetrator on some level before he can come out of that and be. In relationship to them, yes, he he has to move through because some of it's about revenge. I think I don't think it's just a test. I think there's too much, there's too many pieces to it. I think some of it is about revenge. Some of it is about making them suffer, being as being like them, and that that is a stage of what he has to move through, right? So it all has to, all the roles have to be reversed. Everything has to be undone. And redone and reenacted differently for him to come to a place of being ready to forgive, or or being ready to to risk unmasking and meeting them in that place of vulnerability, that place of of being seen. But also, I think he's given them the opportunity of redemption. Giving them, yes. Say say more. Brothers, the opportunity. To redeem themselves to redemption. Because if it was too easy for them, they wouldn't be allowed, they wouldn't have that natural information. They they wouldn't redeem themselves. It would be like, oh, hi, I'm Joseph, and you know, it would be an oh my god, but it wouldn't be like they understood what they really did. And so made you know, made amends for it. So you're saying that what he's putting them through is so that they can empathize differently with him. That they're suffering. He's saying, you need to move through some of this yourselves before I can really even be in relationship to you because you don't have a clue what it's like. And you can therefore redeem yourself. So I guess what... You can't... Because they are suffering for what they did. So it's possible that Joseph's motive, though, is better than that. That taking that idea that Joseph is saying, "I want more out of you," and I'm just going to use this as a teaching device to show you what you need to do to achieve a better position. It's not motivated out of revenge or maybe it's a power struggle. All right. So hang on. So we have a couple of ideas on the table. Then Pam, I'll come to you. So I'm a little. I'm a little loath to equate suffering with redemption. Right? So you have to suffer in order to redeem what you did. Do they need because I don't think suffering is redemptive. I don't think them suffering redeems what they did. 
Stop! Oh my gosh! Does it teach them something that they didn't understand before? Possibly. Does it create in them an empathy and an identification with what Joseph went through? I think that's part of what he's trying to do. What I'm saying is Judah's already been there. He's been through worse than what Joseph's putting them through. But Joseph only knows Judah stuck at a previous place, right? So so I think that's why we see Judah act so differently, right? And be the one to be the, the spokesperson. So, so is suffering redemptive? For me, that's, that's not a theology or a philosophy that, that works. Redemption is different from, I mean, and in English we use that word, it redeems what they did. Not really, <laughs> right? Redemption is, I think it does because you can, I think only the fact that they can feel this, the empath, empathize with them. You know, everything else is lip service to me. They could say, I'm sorry, but until they really feel that pain, feel what it would be like to lose another brother, feel what it would be like to inflict this pain on their father, agonize over it, 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 they can't, they, I, don't, I think they need to suffer so to redeem I, themselves. It doesn't redeem them. It changes them <laughs> yeah. well, into people who can empathize now with Joseph because he's maybe not interested in a relationship with people who can't empathize with him, right? So, then, okay. so, we're, so that's assuming a fairly decent motive. David has an even more generous motive that he gives to Joseph, which is he's actually doing them a kind of favor. He's teaching them so that they too can become people who are more mature spiritually, who are more developed, who have to be resilient. Okay, Pam? I don't think it's either of those things. Okay. <laughs> I think it's uh, Joseph. Why is he... Why does he want Benjamin in particular to come back? And why was the cup in Benjamin's sack? Um, maybe he sees his brothers as um, with the only son of uh, Rebecca and... and uh, so you mean Rachel? Rachel, I keep doing that today. Um, and his father left that the, the, the scorn that was once his has now been placed onto his brother. And he wants his brother to be with him. Um, so I think he has a plan in mind that he's going to get his brother and send the rest away. Uh, and that's going to be the relationship he'll now have with his family. Later, when Yehuda does this incredible speech, and, and, and he's told how the suffering of his father, uh, all this time missing Joseph, this is a surprise for Joseph, of course. He doesn't know what has been told to his father. Um, and Joseph has had a long time to think about what kind of dad um, Jacob was uh, in terms of creating that hostility and favoritism, giving the jacket. I, this is a whole thing I, I was thinking about earlier, but um, that Pharaoh is kind of now his new dad. He clothes them, he gives them you know, a new, new coat, and he uh, gives him an exalted position, and um, he finds a wife for him. He's like his new papa. Um, I, I'm losing my train of thought because there's a, there's a lot in here, but uh, uh-oh, I really have. Um, that was a lot. <laughs> but, but when Yehuda makes this plea, that changes Jacob's uh, Joseph's plan entirely. He is he's thinking, I'm going to get my brother back. But now Yehuda is he sees the change in Yehuda. Don't don't inflict this pain on our dad again. He's still grieving the loss of his other son. And take me. Well, that touches Joseph so much. And then he then he reveals himself. That that, that that's next week. Yeah, that, that's yep. sweet. But we're going there. It's it's going, but, it, but it's like that changed his plan. Correct. Oh, so you you're you're theorizing a different plan. I'm not a different plan. You're theorizing that Joseph's got a plan. 
That's what Pam, right? Pam was just saying he doesn't yeah. know what's been told to Jacob. So, Possibly the reason Pharaoh becomes a surrogate father is because he feels like Jacob never came looking for him. Yeah. Jacob never came to find him. So what the heck is up with that, Dad? Right, right. So he believed the story that the brothers told when we saw the bloody coat. Right, but Joseph doesn't know they told him that story. Ah. Joseph doesn't know that they didn't go home and say, "We're done with him. We got rid of him." Right, but I find it hard to believe that. I, I don't know. I, it doesn't matter what I find hard to believe. All right, so wait, stop. Oh, stop. Did you have anything else you wanted to say? You looked like you weren't finished when I interrupted you. Okay. Because you were talking about the relation between the son and the father, and how do you explain that, like indifference to the father that is suffering so much in reality that he doesn't know. Right, and did not reach out to find out. Right, so too afraid, too resistant, too. I need to leave that behind to find out what was told to Jacob, right? He never, he never went there. My dad never looked for me. He he doesn't know that, and he doesn't ask. I'm adopted. I know what it is to be given away, and then to say, "Do they care? Have they looked for me? Yeah. Do they want to know? Right. Do we go ask that question? Do we go knock on the door and say?" Did, were you curious, or did you wash your hands of me and never think of me again? The the terror in that question, right, it is something. Unless you've, and we've all lived it in some way, I'm sure. But it, I get why Joseph doesn't go ask the question. Did he know I was alive and not come looking for me? Which would be more why he won his brother. So I'm not. I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to say that's one possibility. He did not need to put them through all that he put them through to get Benjamin. Yeah, I'm just saying the he, reason that he was focusing on getting Benjamin there and putting, you know, the the cup in Benjamin. Why Benjamin? Why didn't he just take Benjamin? I mean, like he could have said, if you want food, then Benjamin stays with me. I'm your brother, and you need to stay with me now. He, he goes through this twisted set of machinations go home and the money's in their sack and then they come back and double the money and then there's the guy it's it's there's too much because it's his only full brother and that's the brother that is now him it is his representation that he wants to put through the same thing he went through They, he's putting them through it again yeah okay but i'm saying he's he, his motivation is to Keep his his brother, his full brother, from. That's one. Okay, that's one possibility. Yeah. Another possibility is he's he's looking to to put them through the whole scenario again in order. I don't deny that. I think that's right. Fine. In order to to move to the next place, right? All right. Yes. <laughs> I think that people are very complicated, and this is a very his motivations. Are very complicated yep. on many different levels. Yep. There's the, there's the shallow storytelling level, and it's like peeling an onion. To, mm-hmm. And there, all all of all of the theories that people have talked about are possible. Absolutely, and can be happening at the same time. Absolutely, because people don't understand themselves. There's no. There's no. Pretense here that that Joseph has mapped out, right? It's very clear that he's caught up in his own, right? It, I think you're right. I think it's very complicated. He's got a lot going on. Maybe he had three plans, right? That that as things unfold, now it's something. You know, he's got so much going on, and it's pretty clear. It's very complex, and it's very complicated because it's us, right? Ask any one of us our motivations on any given day for the stuff we do that's really out of our deepest emotions, and it's not easy to unpack. It's not 
linear. It's not clear. It's not, you know, unilateral. There's so many layers and so many levels. And what I want, and do I really want that? And maybe I don't want that now. Or maybe I could do this differently to get Benjamin. Why? Do, you know, it's, it's so complicated, which I love about Torah. Right? This is not the story of a saint. That's in another tradition. Joseph, by the way, is a saint in another tradition. That is not an accident that his name is Joseph. That is no accident that Mary's partner is Joseph and the son of that union. I mean, I know it's complicated who's the father exactly, but um, but the issue, right, of that pair, right, redeems the world. Uh-huh. See, suffering and redemption. It is not a connection for us. That is Christian. Redemption is slavery. We are redeemed from slavery. Suffering and redemption, are they do not pair up in our tradition. Richard? Um, even though we sort of refer to this Parsha, the next few, and the few before as like the Joseph novella, as if he, as if he is the uh, main character, uh, well, he's certainly the most important character as the one who, well, most of the narrative is about him, mm-hmm. and he's certainly mentioned the most often, and things happen to him. But he actually doesn't really evolve very much as a character. Oh, I mean, okay. Uh, I'm going to. <laughs> I'm, 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 going to I'm looking at the group. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to posit that 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 in some ways, even though he doesn't appear in, in a lot of it, this story is a lot about Judah. That that it is uh, that it is uh, Judah's uh, aware, uh, growing awareness. That uh, compassion goes deeper than uh, that. Compassion is not just physical compassion. Compassion is also psychological compassion. So it's sort of like an even deeper understanding of what it means to be compassionate, which is kind of an, um, an evolving interpretation of what it means to be a good person. Yes. And and this. And and so it's kind of like a central thing in the story. Yes. So so in some ways you could say that Judah changed more than Joseph changed. Yes. Okay. So I think that it's important to remember who wrote all this, who commissioned all of this to be written down in the first place, according to many theories. Who commissions who commissions this book? King who? One of the kings of Judah, probably. (laughs) King David. The early narrative. If you want the North and the South, if you want Dixie on the same page as the Yankees, you better put both versions in one book and sell that to the people as the new national history. Right? So the War of Northern Aggression, that term has to appear right next to the Civil War. Right? Right? The war of great unpleasantness between the states, right? So um, they have to both be there. So the theory is David commissions the north and the south, the versions that are most sacred and identify them the most, put them together because he's building a new nation state. And he puts the capital somewhere between them so he's not picking favorites exactly, except where's David from? What tribe? Oh, Judah. Of course this is about Judah. Of course. It has to be, right? Because it's all pointing, this whole thing is pointing to David. And it has to be, therefore, in certain ways, about Judah. Yes, Hannah. Um, I was going to say that Judah is so important in this, but not more important in my eyes, because I think it's a humanistic tale, mm-hmm. and I think that we often, in our younger parts of our lives, we define ourselves often by a specific event in the life, and we push ourselves against that event. And for Joseph, it was being killed by his family. He was betrayed by his family, and he uses that 
as the touchstone for everything else he does in his life. And he builds an empire based on the devastation of that moment. And so he has to, he, his whole existence and role is defined by this fixed point in the past. And I feel like Judah, the powerful thing about why he's so important in this moment is that he shows that that fixed point is no longer. That he, he, he's no longer that past fixture. And that is what transforms Joseph. So Joseph says, hey, I'm, everything that I've always oriented against, I can't orient my decisions about my brothers anymore based on that past. Because they've changed. You know, they're, they're different because people. They're they've different had different people. experiences. So, And so, like, just in terms of yourself, what we call redemption, I don't know if it's redemption, but it's evolution, mm-hmm. that you can say, that happened 30 years ago. And we've all morphed forward. And there's this one person who's really taken it. And he, Judah is our example. I mean, then you can come back to a fixed point in your past. Right. Different. And change it. So I want to say, they're all tied together. They have to be. It's Ubuntu. And the word era, right? This word is about tangling up. Right? That God mixes everything up and evening happens. Right? So, hang on, or I'm going to lose my train of thought. It's interesting what you said. He doesn't, he doesn't build an empire based on being thrown in the pit. He doesn't. He had that vision long before the pit. That vision got into the pit. So what's changed is he's, he always relied on the vision. I'm going to be, my star is going to shine the brightest. My sheaf of wheat is going to be up and yours are going to bow down to me. He always relied on that. What happens after that, right, teaches him, you can't rely just on that. You have to develop the capacity for suffering, for resiliency in the face of grief and loss. Only then is it possible for the vision to become a reality. So it's a really important point only because I think I don't want to over-identify with our pain either. You know, like he, he has the vision first, but it can't be put into action until he moves through the changes, the evolution that happens only through grief and loss. Blanche? Suffering seems well, like the same thing. You just don't I want know. to use the word redemption. Because it's not... Oh, I'm going to write a word on board. You just back. said he has to suffer. He, he has to suffer for... Ah, all right, we're going to come back. Yes. My father didn't talk much about his life in Russia, but he shared some things with me. He was orphaned as a young man. Your father was orphaned in Russia? Yes. Yeah. His stable, his group, the community understood it was their job to feed him. He had work and so forth, but they didn't feed him. And so he got to America and he prospered. And later on, with these same relatives were old and sickly. He was the one who visited them in the hospital. And he told us these stories. The empathy he had for them was his gift. And uh, so I think about that. Because he had a different choice, didn't he? He could have said, forget you, right? You weren't there for me. You think really? I'm coming to. I'm driving across the city for to come to the hospital. Forget about it, right? He had a different choice and chose to lean into his own experience of being left and betrayed, right, and unnurtured, and out of deep empathy for how painful that is. He chose to show up to nurture, right to be there in their suffering and their loneliness. That truly is a beautiful example of what we're talking about, being getting it that we're tangled up together. And Ubuntu, I only become fully human when I empathize 
with your pain rather than like push you away out of my pain. That that is the only way forward um, with any kind of hope. We are mixed up with each other. Um, okay. So I just want one more thing. The fir- one of the first questions asked in the book of Genesis is asked by Cain. What does Cain say? God asks, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? This story finally starts to resolve the tension of that question. Because clearly the message of this story is yes. And they they have to get, finally, we get to guess. That this question that's been ringing since the very first family, it's taken, this is the end of the book of Genesis, right? This story is the end of the book of Genesis. The first family, the question is asked of that first family, am I my brother's keeper? And the rest of this business, says one beautiful commentary, is an exploration to the answer and getting to yes. Then we can close the book of Genesis and we'll begin the story of this family becoming right, a people. I'm going to give you, before we leave, and then... Um, Okay. I understand. It's, it's the same. same. It's, it's a dictionary. In Hebrew, in Hebrew, Gaal is different. Is it an olive or an ayin, Nick? Uh, I think it's an ayin. Could be wrong. Gaal is different. Redemption. Here's redemption. Here's a coupon. It's a 25 cent coupon, right? I'm buying something. I'm going to redeem this coupon. What does that mean? I'm going to get something. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this, and it will be redeemed for what it was supposed to be all along. Exchange. It's exchange. I exchange what is for what it was supposed to be. It's not supposed to stay this. It's supposed to be a quarter. But it isn't a quarter yet. Something has to happen. I have to give it over. And then it will be a quarter when I've done that. The people of Israel is enslaved, right? They were never supposed to be slaves. Nobody's supposed to be slaves. So they they are redeemed to be free, which is what they were supposed to be all along. Nothing about suffering. It's not attached to suffering. God redeems them for God's purposes. Not because they suffered. Is there a connection? We could explore that. But I don't care what the English dictionary says. The Hebrew concepts of redemption and salvation are not the same. And I'll tell you why it's in that dictionary linked. Because we live in a Christian country. And the English language is a Christian language. It comes from Latin. That is a Christian language. It is equivalent in English. In this culture that is informed by Christianity, I totally get how they put those two together. Because in Christianity, Christ redeems humanity from sin. Right. It's not it's it's not the suffering. It's not his suffering on the cross that's redemption, it's his blood. It's his life. He's the sacrifice. We right it, redemption human suffering or the death and as redeeming humanity from sin is the reconstruction of the idea of redemption that Judaism introduced to the world. For us, it's redemption from slavery. We get atonement and forgiveness in relationship to sin. Suffering's nowhere in the mix. It's it's not theologically important. Is it important to us as human beings that we suffer? Of course. But what's important that we suffer is that we have empathy. 
for others who suffer. What's important for us that we were redeemed from slavery? That we be sure, well, this is the progressive read on it, obviously, that we would help you know, other people be redeemed um, from slavery. One more thing, and then I'm going to close with something. I'm starting to understand what you're saying is that redemption from a Jewish perspective is and yes. from a Christian perspective is a sentence. And they're not sent. Correct. That's that will tie this together. It's not redemption that's going on here. That's just a transaction. We're trying to find out if Joseph evolves and why he's doing this. And we have nothing to do with redemption. I agree. Rabbi, All right, can so, no. thought before, I mean, one after the last. <laughs> last plus one. Yes, one. I, I yes. want to comment about this session that we had this morning. Yes, sir. Uh, in my judgment, it has stimulated more thought and, in, uh, from my experience, more uh, original thought than any session in the past. Yeah. And it, it seems to me that this is this entire Joseph narrative can be um, a course in itself. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we ought to have that. <laughs> a wonderful suggestion. So um, that's a wonderful suggestion, Ruben. So coming, I want to close this with Hanukkah. I want to close this with the times that we live in. I want to close this with this idea of Ubuntu that Rabbi Ingber brought really brought into the world by, I mean, famously into the world by Mandela. Mandela, who suffered how much? His whole life in the prison? Joseph comes out. Mandela spent, right, how long in there? And and he's the one preach, who was preaching Ubuntu. That, that we, out of our suffering, if that is going to do anything in this world for the good, it means we lean into it in order to empathize, have compassion, and as Jews we say, act on that to alleviate the suffering of others. There is an Ubuntu bracelet project. So I'm wearing Ubuntu bracelets. And these are made by women in Africa whose lives have been devastated by HIV AIDS. They are made by the women of rubber and lead a free uh, you know, copper and other um, metals, and they provide food and care to orphans because these orphans are taken care of by women. 70% unemployment. So this is fair trade. These women are given an education about how to run businesses. They are linked with other women to make cooperatives so that these bracelets bring the women an income so that they can care for the orphans that are left to them, and these women are also often affected themselves um, by HIV AIDS in their own bodies even, of course given to them by their husbands. So um, I'm going to ask us this Hanukkah to, um, I'm going to give you a, a way to to learn a little bit more about Ubuntu, and I'm going to ask you to, to buy a bracelet um, they come in packages with a picture of, you know, of who these people are and how it helps um, wrapped, you know, with that. So it's 20 bucks, I think, a bracelet. Um, and give it as a hot, late Hanukkah present. If you have friends who are getting Christmas presents, please. I know there's lots of causes. It's just out of Hanukkah this year, the darkness that we're facing, for me, it's just another way for our Torah study to actually manifest uh, for the good and for hope and for peace. My daughter, when I was talking to her about Ubuntu, because my friend Sarah Thompson, you know the singer, uh, was involved in the project, which is how I came to know about it. I was telling my daughter Eliana about it, and I will close with this thought, talking about Ubuntu and trying to explain it to her. And she said, well, Mom, really, we're all pieces of the puzzle. We just don't have the picture on the front of the box. <laughs> Shabbat shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.